Devoncast from Radio X. Hello and welcome to Devoncast, the weekly podcast looking at local and regional issues in Devon. The politics, the people and how decisions here affect how we live, work and enjoy our county. I'm Rob Kershaw. I'm Ollie Hepton-Stool. And I'm Philip Cherm. On the way this week, we'll delve into the UK's immigration policy and some of the recent goings-on over at Plymouth City Council. We also look at an initiative in Torbay that aims to prevent young people getting into vaping. And we'll end this week's show with an interview and music from folk band Show of Hands. Joining us this week, we have Leader of the Opposition in Plymouth, Labour's Tudor Evans, and Member of the Opposition in Torbay, Nick By of the Conservative Party. A very warm welcome to you two both. Devoncast from Radio X. Now, you may have heard some comments on the United Kingdom's immigration policy, which have caused quite a stir this week. Yes, Home Secretary Sweller Braverman has recently announced a new migration bill that if it becomes law, will mean people who illegally enter the country will be detained and either sent back to their home country or a safe third country. She described the journey across the channel in small boats as unnecessary and unsafe and claimed that the government is currently spending £7 million a day on hotels for migrants. Foreign Secretary James Cleverly says that France will receive money if they stop boats leaving the country for the UK. Shadow Home Secretary Yvette Cooper has described the new proposed legislation as a con. We'd be setting out a serious plan today and we would work with them on it and so would everyone across the country. Instead, it's just more chaos. They say no ifs, no buts, but all of us know they're going to spend the whole of the next year ifing and butting and looking for someone else to blame. Enough is enough. We can't afford any more of this slogans and not solutions, just government by gimmick, ramping up the rhetoric on refugees but picking fights simply to have someone else to blame when things go wrong. This bill isn't a solution. It is a con that risks making the chaos worse. Britain deserves better than this chaos. Britain is better than this. This was Braverman's response. Mr Speaker, the British people want to stop the boats. It's one of the five promises that the Prime Minister made to the British people. But stop the boats didn't even feature in the Leader of the Opposition's five big missions. It's because he probably doesn't care, or is it because he doesn't care, or because he doesn't know what to do? We all know why. And I think the British people know why. It's because deep down, the leader of the opposition doesn't want to stop the boats. Tudor, let's bring you in first. It's a tough debate. Where do you stand on this? Should local government be providing more for migrants and refugees? Are are we doing enough? Well, local government wants to do more. And of course, the problem is in part that the government has lost control of the whole situation, hasn't it? We had a meeting at the local government association this week where conservative councils, liberal councils, labor councils, and others were all bemoaning the fact that they are getting to deal with without virtue, without any announcement or, or warning, um, cases of uh, asylum seekers being distributed around the country. Now, Look, let's get it into perspective, okay, about what this size of this issue is, because part of this thing is this is a dog whistle, okay? In fact, it's not a whistle. I mean, it's a blooming great foghorn, because why wouldn't the government want to distract people from the disastrous management of the NHS, the disastrous management of the economy and all the other things? So this is a perfect dog whistle for them. But let's get it into perspective. If the UK 
which is 67 million, was represented by the capacity crowd at Centre Court in Wimbledon. Um, th then the number of asylum seekers would be equivalent to 10 members of that Centre Court crowd out of 15,000 people. In other words, not 1%, not 0.1%, not 0.01%, but 0.0001% of the population of this country. And Braverman and Sunak are just trying to get people to blame migrants for 13 years of underfunding of the NHS. The reason you can't get a doctor or a dentist or you've got to stay in line at A&E is not because of these migrants. It's not because of these asylum seekers. It's because the government is systematically underfunding it. Nick, let's just bring Sorry. you in uh, quickly because uh, unfortunately we are uh, we are a little bit strapped for time. Uh, Nick, the three hotels in Torbay, which are now being used to house migrants, they've been a bit of a source of controversy with pressure on, on children's yeah. services being a particular focal point. What do you make of this new potential legislation? My understanding is at the moment there are two that the council dug in and made representations effectively to prevent a third hotel being used for asylum seekers, although those Asylum seekers who are claiming to be 18 or younger are now accommodated separately. So that is spilling into over other establishments. So it has been a huge, huge pressure on Torbay Council. The local community, in fairness, has rallied around and welcomed. We've had unaccompanied asylum-seeking children from Afghanistan. I think we, we've accommodated more of those than, than other similar size authorities. And we've put out a huge welcome, and I personally got involved in support for, for people who've come to Torbay from Ukraine. So, you know, we, we are a welcoming place. I don't accept, as Tudor has said, that this is like dog whistle. I, I, I wish I wish the rhetoric was a little different. I, I wish it, that the poster, as it were, or, or the slogan on the Prime Minister's lectern was like, stop this evil trade. I, I like to think that what we're trying to do also is protect um, that those who are being trafficked and those who may be paying money but are risking their lives and their families' lives by coming in the boats. I mean, that to me is the humanitarian issue and, and, and the number one issue. So, yep, strengthening the legislation is number one. But number two, it is absolutely working with France. So the, the rhetoric there has changed. I think, you know, Rishi Sunak, and in fairness, the, the current government is, is doing things in a rather more conciliatory way. And, you know, an exceptional number of people coming here claiming to be asylum seekers are from Albania. So it's, it's like working with other European countries. I looked I looked on Wikipedia before coming on here today. The life expectancy, with all due respect, in Albania is greater than in some of the poorest parts of Turkey and Payton. No one is at war in Albania. So it's, it's also working with regimes, it's working with governments and countries and investing and helping so, so that people aren't making these, these desperate uh, journeys. That's what I want to see stopped. I want to see, you know, no more news coverage of people being dragged out of the water. Uh, Nick, if I can just come back on that, on something that you said there about the fact that many of the people in Torbay are quite welcoming, they're quite supportive and so on. Do you think that demonstrates a gap between the thinking of ordinary people and what is government policy? I, I don't know. I think if you ask people about immigration as a topic, you, you will get one um, kind of response. If you actually introduce people to people 
and and see a human side and a human story, then, then they will respond rather differently. Sometimes it's very much the, the, the same people. And, you know, people go off on one about too many migrants and goodness knows what. And, and then, you know, the next moment, they're, they're very appreciative of the care they may be getting in the hospital or social care or whatever, or going out for a meal in a restaurant. And it's people there from, from different countries who, who are providing that service and appreciate it. So it's a human, human side. We are in a country with a falling birth rate, with an aging population to try and maintain the UK as a prosperous nation, one of the, you know, the, the top performing countries in the world. You, we need to have a grown up, sensible conversation on migration. But what it's got to be is a sort of controlled, reasonable approach. And Tudor, just coming back to you finally before we move on, what would Labour's approach to this be? Well, I mean, Yvette Cooper's set out on more than one occasion Labour's immediate plans, what we've been calling for this very week. We think there should be a cross-border police unit, properly funded, uh, to target the gangs, because it's the gangs that should be yep. um, victimised here, not the, not the people who are, who are their victims. Um, uh, we also think, you know, we Nick mentioned Albania. I mean, only 1% of cases from Albania have been dealt with, you know, and because of that inefficiency in the system, that's why the hotels are being used rather than dispersed accommodation. That's why it costs more. So this inefficiency, this broken system, 13 years of a, a broken system, that's the problem. And, and absolutely, I welcome the, the conversation with France. But the idea that France isn't taking people is ridiculous. They're having far more uh, people uh, given asylum th 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 than we are here. There's loads of things. Um, as I say, we, we've set out some sound proposals, but we've got to sort out this thing. I mean, they're going to detain people for 28 days after they arrive. And then what? We've seen children going missing from... Uh, from asylum centres, uh, asylum centres already. I mean, where will those people go? And uh, as I say, it's all headline and no substance in this announcement from Braverman this week. I'm afraid. Um, I can't really see very much difference between what she's saying and what Nigel Farage was saying uh, two or three years ago. All right, well, we will okay. stick uh, with uh, Plymouth Council. Phil? Well, it's over a week since councillors in Plymouth approved a budget aimed at clawing back a potential shortfall of £37 million. But the Tory-led authority faced a 10-page long amendment from Labour before it was finally passed. The amendment included everything from more money to support action on violence against women and girls to some new public toilets at Tudor. The budget did only get through on your amendment, so does Plymouth now have a Tory budget? or a Labour budget? <laughs> it has a Tory budget with some Labour amendments that tried to soften the blow of the Tory budget. Um, so uh, a big piece of our uh, appeal in this in this uh, motion was to try and get more help to people who are really struggling with council tax bills, energy bills, housing bills, cost of living bills uh, in total. So that was kind of our first port of call, if you like, with this amendment. And, uh, you know, the point is people talk about putting alternative budgets. You can't because the ruling uh, group of councillors have months and months and months to prepare with expert advice from all officers of the council. Oppositions tend not to be able to do that. So, you know, you can only pick a few that you can get through. But I was delighted that our, our motion, I mean, five and a half pages, 
sounds a lot. Actually, quite a lot of it was critique of the government and their historic underfunding of Plymouth. I mean, you know, we keep getting less money um, than we need, um, which means that services are being rationed um, when actually they've never been more needed. Uh, the sort of support the councils give to adult social care, children's care, um, has got to take priority legally, but and that leaves less money for all the other things. I mean, councils run some 300 services, um, so subsidies for bus services and things like that have to go out the window. And, you know, we tried our best to soften the blow of, of the Tory budget as best we could. And uh, if we're successful in the local elections in May, then... Um, it'll be our turn to try and make sense of this uh, this underfunding. I mean, you talk about the elections in, in May, but actually Labour, um, for months now, has had the most seats on the council. And we could say, well, well, you know, why have you not tried to take over the leadership earlier? And it's been suggested that, that it's simply because you, a, a pure Labour budget could not have been that much different than the Conservative budget, and you wanted to be able to say, well, it's their fault? Well, no, uh, politics is a language of priorities, so we would have approached it from a slightly different angle. But forgive me, but we have been the largest party for two months uh, since the by-election in January. Um, and in order to, uh, to have taken over the council, we would have needed the support of five Conservative councillors who were pretending to be independents at the moment. They can't even get on with their own colleagues. So how on earth would they prop up an administration um, run by Tudor Evans and the Labour Party? So, you know, I'm afraid. Can I? My system on this is quite simple. I serve at the pleasure of the public, not at the pleasure of independent, independent Conservatives who've fallen out with other Conservatives on the Council. Uh, Nick, just okay. coming to you briefly, what do you make of the situation in Plymouth as a Conservative and, and have you been speaking to your colleagues in the city? Well, in, in the past, I've always had a very good rapport with, with Plymouth councillors of, of all, all political colours, but I don't think it'd be quite right for me to, to sort of wade in. I mean, Tor Bay is, is in an interesting situation that we have the Conservatives with the most seats but as you know, the independents in Torbay, who are of a variety of political views, support the Liberal Democrat administration. So it's an interesting sort of mirror, perhaps, of what's going on going on in Plymouth. But I've, I've always got on well. I've got on well with Tudor, I think, when we've, we've met over the years. And uh, we, we learn from each other. I think we're both unitary authorities with particular challenges, I would suggest. Um, I, I would actually say that the government has been more generous over this last winter in terms of extra funding. And in Torbay, the Conservative group um, tried to get through an amendment for a lower council tax rise. We're going for the council has agreed to go for the maximum possible, the almost 5%. Um, the Conservative group, nine of us, as it turned out on Tuesday night, putting forward an amendment to go for 3.5% because our investment portfolio is actually generating a very significant income and reserves. We've had a couple of windfalls and we've ha had support from the government on specifically to support children's and adult social care so maybe we're in a slightly stronger position but um trying to trying to sort of assist people through the cost of living co 
crisis with a lower council tax rise. Nick, just to come back to you on, on that one as well, of course, we, that we saw that um, attempt from the Conservative Party to bring down the council tax increase. There was also an attempt to bring some of the reserves into the budget, um, which was described by the Liberal Democrats in, in Torbay as, as, tr- as trustonomics. What would your response be to that? Absolutely not trustonomics because... A local government can't run deficit budgets. You know, the, the, the government at the time, in fact, pretty much all, all national governments run very significant day-to-day revenue deficits. So local government can't do that. Local government has to put through a balanced budget. And we thought there'd been a windfall. Please don't ask me to explain it. There'd been a windfall literally in the last 10 days, of about half a million. We have a four million surplus on our investment income. We have things that we think we could have taken out of, of the budget. The, the, the Torbay Council budget has gone in one year from 120 to 131 million. That's the biggest budget we've ever had. That's a very big increase. We don't think it would have been difficult to have found a way of delivering a 3.5% reserve. Certainly not, not trustonomics. Um, I would say sound. Tudor sound for a second in Plymouth. Uh, only recently, last week as well, you issued a joint statement, a joint plea in relation to the city centre health hub, which is, um, you know, you working with the Conservatives on that plea. Uh, you work quite well together, Tories and Labour. Well, generally speaking, I mean, you know, council, you know, rocks back and forth between Conservative and Labour, so. You know, if 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 you want to get things done, particularly big things, you have to reach out and work together from time to time. I mean, people get the impression that we're always at war because that's the only time really it gets into the media, isn't it? That that you know, councils work together. Shock is not exactly a big a big headline grabber. Whereas row breaks out over X, um, oftentimes these are tiny trivial uh, outbreaks of, of disagreement. So on the big stuff when it really matters for Plymouth, we have managed to find a way of working together. And I think that's what the public value, the public appreciate that fact that we do that. So on this project, which will benefit the health service in financial terms by taking um, people away from Derryford and the A&E department and actually have them in preventative, where it'll benefit the health of the public. This facility, is in one of the most, in terms of its health outcomes, it's it's got one of the worst set of figures in, in, in the UK, let alone Plymouth. So it would be really good for the local population. It'd be really good for Plymouth. It would actually help the Devon system as well, which is why we can't understand why um, the, the other parts of Devon are seen as a priority for funding over, over this project, because this would take something like, I think, I think it's, 12% of the activity at A&E out of the system by getting people to go here to this facility rather than having to go and sit in Derryford A&E. So, I, I, you know, it's a, it's a puzzle to both myself and the leader of the council as to why we're not getting that kind of support, particularly as the money had already come for the, pre, for the preliminary works, the demolition of buildings, and the installation of services. So we really don't get what's happened to the NHS at the moment, to the NHS money. Uh, it really is most peculiar. So we're working together uh, to try and get some heads knocked together and to get some common sense, and more importantly, to get some money. On a completely 
different topic and a final one from me, Tudor. During lockdown, you got a bit of a name for yourself, uh, Cooking Fish on YouTube. Um, cooking Counselor, I think it was. Uh, so are we going to expect uh, Tudor, uh, the Tudor Evans book of recipes soon? Um, no, uh, I don't think so. Um, I, I, I mean, look, all I'm, all I'm doing, and the reason I did it was to promote local fish, okay? Because we had, at the start of the lockdown, uh, a lot of the boats were basically tied up uh, with no market, no customers in restaurants and all the rest of it. So we started this thing called Call for Fish, where it was door-to-door -door fish delivery. So a part of that was, um, could an idiot do some cooking to show how easy it was to cook fish so that idiot was me and i stood up and, and i've done that and i've we've done you know i don't know we've done a lot maybe 60 70 recipes or something and it's the idea is i generally try and use sustainable fish from our local fish market here in plymouth uh, other fish markets are available but the you know the thing is um it's easy the fishmongers do all the hard work. All you have to do is cook it. And so it's kind of, you know, I was just showing how simple it is really. Uh, don't be afraid of the fish is my my sort of slogan. Okay. Really. Rick Stein can sleep safely tonight. Oh yes. Devoncast from Radio X. Later we'll hear from Steve Knightley from leading Devon folk band Show of Hands who's been working on what he hopes will be a new chant for Exeter Chief supporters. We got together one night in a hotel and laid this down as a rhythm. Oh, chief, chief, chief. Oh, and I've even managed to get which is Drake's drum. And we'll finish with a show of hands song ahead of their big gig at the Royal Albert Hall next month. Devon Cast from Radio X. Now let's round out some of the other stories across Devon this week. And Rob, the Liberal Democrat leader of Torbay Council, Steve Darling, he's making a run for Parliament. That's right. Steve Darling is aiming to bring the Torbay seat back into the Liberal Democrats' clutches for the first time since 2015. He's accused the Conservative government of not doing enough to help people during the cost of living crisis, which Torbay's Conservative chairman, Robert Summers, has dismissed as desperation. Uh, Nick, as an opposing councillor in Torbay, what do you make of Steve Darling's fighting words against the Conservatives? Well, on a personal basis, I've known Steve Darling for 30 years. I wish him well, but I think his difficulty is that as leader of the council, unless he can show a track record of success, which at the moment I don't believe he can, then what, why should people support him when he stands for Parliament? We've had not just millions, but tens of millions of, of support from government, future high streets money, town deal money, uh, land release money for housing, extra money for health and social care. And yet things aren't getting better in Torbay. And he, he has been the leader of the council for four years. So he's not got a very good track record. So I don't see that people are going to want to promote him now and send him off to Parliament. And uh, Tudor, just bringing you in quickly, why do you think Labour doesn't seem to enjoy the same support in Torbay as it does in, in your city of Plymouth and in indeed Exeter? Um, not a Labour councillor on Torbay Council, and it hasn't been a, a Labour seat since Torbay was established as a seat back in the 70s. Yeah, I have no idea because uh, Torbay Labour Party have some very fine individuals. Um, we have some very uh, fine policies uh, for the Bay. I mean, to be honest with you, um, we need a little bit of um, Labour uh, vim and vigour in Torbay, don't we? Because, uh, you know, and Nick, Nick uh, I, I 
don't wish to insult the uh, uh, his predecessor or or, or or his successor, but I I have to say that you know there's a little bit of lack of imagination from uh, the current uh, major dominating parties in Torbay, and I, I would encourage people to have a look at what Labour is actually promising to do. Um, I think we're um, I think if you look at uh, just if people in Torbay would see what we've done in our areas, in our seafront, our waterfront, how we've invigorated it, how we've invested in it, how we've been creative and clever in what we've done. Um, actually, having that bit of difference um, can make a real difference to the fortunes of the bay. And, um, you know, the people in Torbay are no different than people in, in Plymouth and, and in Exeter. They have the same problems. Uh, they have problems uh, about accessing healthcare. They have problems with the cost of living. Uh, they have problems with isolation. They have problems of mental health. They have problems about that social care and children's care, the same as everywhere in the, in the major urban conurbation. So no reason why they shouldn't turn to Labour. Um, I think we're fantastic. Devoncast from Radio X. Ollie, over at Devon County Council, there's also been some news this week. Yes, that's right, Rob. The leader of Devon County Council has pledged not to sell off the county's farm estate. John Hart made the commitment after his opposite number, Julian Brazil of the Lib Dems, claimed he had heard rumours they could be sold off to pay off a growing overspend in supporting children with special educational needs and disabilities. Now, Devon's total running overspend on the service is projected to rise to £150 million by next year, and negotiations with the government are still ongoing about what will happen to the total, which is basically debt, but is being held in a separate account until 2026. Now, the County Farms Estate contains almost 10,000 acres of agricultural land and includes 65 residential dairy and livestock farms that are rented off to farmers. Devon's Cabinet Member for Children's Services says he's confident they'll sort out the overspend, but it does remain a huge worry at County Hall, and I'm sure it's something that will come up again in the not-too-distant future. Thanks very much, Ollie. Earlier this week, Torbay agreed to take measures to prevent young people from vaping. It will aim to work with schools to further, further educate children on the dangers of vaping, such as nicotine addiction. Uh, it wants vaping products to be kept out of sight of children in shops. Figures last year showed that between 2021 and 2022, the number of young people vaping in the United Kingdom more than doubled. Nick, I'll come to you again. Uh, this is perhaps a worrying trend among young people. So do you feel it's important to take action now and stop it from getting worse? Yes, and I think it was something that all councillors unanimously were pleased to support on Tuesday night. I think some of us see vaping as a way out of cigarette smoking. So we want to and have had success. People, people are smoking far less than in the past. What you don't want to see is vaping as a way in, particularly for youngsters. So vaping for those who are trying to give up smoking cigarettes seems to be a good way of reducing um, harm. But when when um, vaping equipment is sold pretty freely and it's all decorated and, and, and marketed, I understand you get bubblegum flavours and you get packaging that actually appeals to children. I think that is, is fundamentally wrong. You don't want to be drawing youngsters into vaping for the fear that they're then going to move on to smoking cigarettes. And vaping itself may be harmful, even if it is less harmful than smoking cigarettes. So absolutely, it's all about 
seeing how we could regulate the sale of vaping equipment. So it would be very much in the, sold in the same way with plain packaging and warnings and so on and control and better control to make sure that youngsters don't, don't buy vaping equipment. Uh, Trudy, just to bring you on this, we, we heard an anecdote at the full council meeting on uh, in Torbay on Tuesday night that from, from teachers who were saying that the children couldn't actually sit through a whole exam without needing to go outside for a vape, which is, is, is pretty shocking, really. Well, it is. I mean, I'm a ex-smoker myself. I smoked bomb. I didn't actually pick up a cigarette till I was 18, which is a bit unusual. Um, and uh, from then on, I was hooked. And I, I turned to the um, services of the NHS Smoking Cessation Service, which really helped me um, to, to give up after, well, a long career as a smoker. Um, so... It is shocking when you hear stories like that. And the tobacco industry, of course, has always needed to entice young people into the market because people, older people are dying from their products. And it's it's a it's a horrible, cynical industry. Um, and very costly, costly to the nation in terms of health, but costly for individuals in their to in in, in terms of their health too. Anything that can be done to dissuade young people from taking it up is important. I think vaping actually is a step away, um, but uh, of course it doesn't break the habit completely. Um, it, it's, it's useful in, in a sense of a, a staging post, but the best decision I ever made was to give up smoking, I have to say. Um, and it's amazing how quickly your body kind of recovers once you start to give up. I was astonished by the speed and uh, i would encourage anybody to seek out smoking cessation help um there's no shame in asking for help to give up it's tough nicotine is a really aggressive um habit former and so uh, if you need help take it and on that note we're just about out of time Many thanks to our guests this week, Tudor Evans and Nick Bai. And to end this week's edition of Devoncast, one of the country's leading folk bands, Show of Hands. They have a string of awards to their name and a loyal following that grew from small acorns here in Devon. The core of the band, Steve Knightley, Phil Beer and Miranda Sykes, still perform as individuals in small venues, but next month they're playing at the Royal Albert Hall. In a moment, we'll finish with one of their songs, but first, Steve Knightley, who's an Exeter Chief supporter, told Radio X's Paul Nero how he's been working on a new chant that quite possibly in the future could be sung loudly in the stands. I was thinking, what's the skill set of the supporters? You know, they can go, they go... Dum, 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 dum. OK, that's classic cowboys and Indian stuff. But you only got to go... And you're back to Celtic rhythms. So we got together one night in a hotel and laid this down as a rhythm. Oh, chief, chief, chief. Oh, and I've even managed to get which is Drake's drum. So that's what I'm currently working on at the moment. And, and using the skill set of the supporters, which is to, to more or less bang things in time <laughs> and to moan gently. <laughs> and do you think it's going to be hard to get 10,000 people learning that song? No, the, the, the way you do it is, is you teach it to a handful of people 
and then they learn it. And there's there's a few little chants that Exeter uh, um, are that, that that have gradually emerged from one or two people singing it, and then more people singing it. What you can't do, and I think that maybe mistakes have been made here, you cannot impose upon a crowd a collective chant. It has to come through them. I think the club tried it at the beginning of the season. It didn't really catch on. And so on the very first day, <laughs> I remember, this chant started and it was very syncopated. It was doom, 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 doom. Chiefs. It was very funeral-like. And immediately everybody around looked at each other and started going... Oh, and drowned it out. <laughs> well, with the first party of the season, you can tell why it was funeral-like, can't you? At least uh, <laughs> things are picking up somewhat. Uh, tell us about the best years yet. The best, the best one yet. The, the best one yet. We did a collaborative single uh, during lockdown two summers ago, all about returning to live music. We combined the uh, talents of me and Phil and Miranda and also other people on our agency, Phil Henry and Hannah Martin, who are Edgelarks, they're a local duo, and also uh, Track Dogs and some other band called Banter. And we all imported our parts from different parts of the world and the country, some of the guys are in Spain, just to make this sort of celebration. And we recorded Phil and I playing at the bridge in, in Topsham in the sunshine. And unfortunately, just when we were about to release it, we were locked down again. So every time we tried to release it to celebrate returning to summer music, we got locked down again. So it's there on file, waiting to be a summer hit. And you can see Show of Hands and Friends at the Royal Albert Hall in London on Monday the 10th of April. That's Easter Monday. But if you can't get to that, there'll be lots more dates uh, that can be found on the Show of Hands website. We'll hear one of their songs in a second, but thanks very much for listening this week. We'll be back with another episode next Friday. And as promised, playing us out, this is Show of Hands with the Firebrand Band and the best one yet. Devon Cast from Radio X.
The latest episode of Devoncast every Friday at radiox.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts.